How's it going, y'all? Okay. Y'all got a break coming up or something, huh? That's what it sounds like. Man, I'm so glad you were here tonight as we are celebrating Easter week, um, Res week, as we reflect on the songs that we just sang, right? That Jesus came and lived and died, and not only did he die for us, but he rose again three days later. And what an amazing fact and just amazing story that is. Um, There is no greater love than that, right? Ain't no amen. Come on now. Yeah, we just sleeping here at night. We'll wake you up. Don't worry. I I might jump, so be careful. Uh, Man, I am so excited again that you're here tonight as we celebrate this great week and just celebrate our great Savior. Um, And the truth is, we're not going to be talking too much about it um, in this moment, but we are talking about the church, which we saw last week out of Acts 1, right? We saw Luke, uh, the book of Luke, was the stories of what Jesus done in his life, in his death, the stories, the teachings that he told. And as we get into the book of Acts, we see the story of what Jesus has done through his people. We see that his people are are the epitome of his plan. They are what he is trying to do and what he's trying to accomplish. As the church is trying to fulfill the mission that Jesus left with them, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he commanded them. And he left a great promise with them as he rose again and ascended into heaven. He said, and I will be with you always to the end of the age. And that's the story that we've been talking about. How Jesus has been with his people always to the end of the age. Over the last five weeks, if you have not been here, uh, we have been talking about the church defined. Defining something that I think often we have misconceptions about. We handled a, much, a bunch of these misconceptions that first week, and we've just seen the different roles and the nature of the church. We've seen its mission last week to be a light to the nations, to go therefore and reach all people, all nations, starting right here in Ruston, Louisiana, starting right here on your campus and in your classroom. We've seen that we as individuals are the church. The church is not a room that we are in, but it's a people that we are. And this story has challenged us and hopefully challenged you as an individual that we are not here to just sit still. But we are here to fulfill the mission of the church. So over the last few weeks, we've seen how we fulfill those missions. How we fulfill the mission to make disciples of all nations. And we do that through worship. We do that through biblical teaching. We do that through evangelism and community. And tonight we'll look at how we do that through service. Because the truth is we as a church are called to serve. As Jesus came and lived a life, right? He didn't live as a king that was above everyone, but he lives as a servant to his people. He said that he came not to to be served, but to serve. And that mission is now ours. That we are to serve him faithfully. So we're going to be in Romans 12 again tonight, starting in verse 3. Romans 12, verse 3. And we'll be addressing the last misconception of this series, of the idea that the church is here to serve us. So often I think this is, this is a byproduct of the culture that we live in. That if we don't like something, we just go somewhere else. If we don't like a certain, what certain, somebody has to say, we just listen to someone else. But as we read through the book of Acts and read through the New Testament, we see that the church was not to be something for individuals, for people. 
It was not meant to serve you as a person, but it was meant to serve God as He is the one that we are trying to bring glory, not ourselves. And when we think of the church as something that's here to serve us, we make ourselves that God. When we say the music has to be right, or the temperature has to be right, or the pew needs to be a little bit longer so I can fit my phone next to me instead of in my pocket, right? When we say these things, we're making church more about us than it is about the one we come to worship. And we have to be so careful. Because the truth is, the church really doesn't have a lot to do with us. It has everything to do with bringing glory to God. And our mission is to fulfill that to bring him glory, and we'll see how we do that through his word tonight. So we're in Romans 12, starting in verse 3. It says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we enter into your word tonight, I just pray that you would speak to us. Lord, if we have any misconceptions or distractions coming up to tonight, Lord, that you would remove them right now. Lord, as we spend the next few minutes of your word, I pray that you would just speak to us, that you would challenge us where we need to be challenged and convict us where we need to be convicted. And Lord, I pray most of all that you will transform us tonight. Because we know when we open your word, it has the power to cut to the heart. And Lord, we pray that that happens tonight. Lord, we pray that we leave this place as servants of the Most High. And Lord, that we don't live to serve ourselves, but we live to serve you and bring you glory. It's your son's name I pray. Amen. So as we enter into this passage in Romans 12, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we were a couple of verses ahead of this, right? Uh, we were in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And as we approached that passage, it was really important for us to understand Romans 1 through 11. I'm not going to go all the way through Romans 1 through 11 like I did last time, but essentially in Romans 1 through 11, Paul lays the foundation for the statements that he's about to make in Romans 12 and so forth. He says in the beginning, like we had fallen away from God. Our nature had fallen apart from him. We are sinful. We, we were all condemned because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, the things that we just sang about, this gift was Jesus who came for us. He came for us in order that we can have life and a relationship with God once more. He lived a perfect life. He died a death on a cross. He rose again three days later that we're celebrating in four days. So that we can have a relationship with the Most High God. And that's something that should bring awe to you. It should bring amazement to your heart that a God who is above all cared about you. And when I say the word you, I don't mean you as a group, but you as an individual. He cared about each and every one of us so much that he would die for us. 
Therefore, as Paul says in, in chapter 12, we ought to lay down our lives as a living sacrifice. This Old Testament picture of a New Testament principle shows us that we are to lay our wants, our desires down at the altar in order that God would receive the glory. That our lives, while once ours, have been turned over to God as we recognize all that He has done for us so that we are going to live for Him every single day of our life. And that's what we talked about in the idea of worship, that it wasn't just this moment of praise, but it was a lifetime of praise. A lifetime of pointing to what God has done. So as we get to verse 3 tonight, we see Paul say something that honestly, it, when I first read it, I was like, that's a weird place to jump to. Right? So we, we lay our life down, and he says, By the grace given to me, I say to every single one of you, do not think of oneself more highly than he ought to think. We are to serve with humility, and that's the foundation that we see in verse 3. As Paul begins to address this idea that we have been given spiritual gifts in order to serve the church and bring glory to God, he wants to make sure and help them understand that their foundation was not in what they can do. He says, for by grace I have been given these gifts. By grace, what Christ has done. He founds them in Christ because he recognizes that if they are not firmly rooted there, they are going to be prideful in what Christ does through them. So he looks at them and he says, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to. But instead, in sober judgment, consider your life. Consider who you were. Consider the fact that you were a sinner. You were someone far from grace, yet grace came to you through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through this grace, you have not only been given a, a gift of salvation, but you have been given gifts in order to serve the church and fulfill its purpose. But we can't get there quite yet if you think it is about you. If you think serving the church or the gifts that the Lord has given you were for your grace and your glory and your lifting high, your exaltation, you've missed it. So the first thing he says to them is not use your gifts wisely, but don't think of yourself too highly. Because he recognizes it has nothing to do with the individual members of the body, but everything to do with the body as a whole. And as he calls them to use their gifts here in a couple of verses, he calls them to recognize who they were and who they still are today. All throughout scripture, we see this picture of humility over and over and over again. This idea of humility was very foreign to the culture they were in as, as it was a pride and shame culture, right? If, if you were a, a good person and, and rich and wealthy, you were thought of highly. If you were someone who was poor and kept to themselves, you were thought of lowly. And, and Paul writes these letters and he says, think of yourself as low. Think of yourself as one of the least of these because that is who you are. In Philippians 2, we see the idea that we are not to consider ourselves more highly than others. That we are to consider others more significant than yourself. That we are to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In the life of Jesus, we see over and over and over again this picture of the king of all kings coming to earth and saying, you know what, I don't want to be served. Instead, I want to wash your feet. 
Something that only the lowest form of servants would do. That's who our Lord is. He's not a Lord that gloats. He's a Lord that washes the feet of His servants. And if we are doing anything but serving others, we have missed Jesus and put ourselves in the picture. Because the truth is, just like Jesus knew and just like we should know, we are here to serve and love others. We are to bring ourselves to a point of humility. And this is hard. As so often our culture tells us that we need to lift our name up. We need to get more likes on social media so we have a higher status in our culture. We need to serve in order that people will see us. But Matthew 6, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's giving His most well-known sermon of all time. He looks at these people and He says, Do not let your righteousness be known to others. This phrase often confused me because a few verses before this, he says that you are called to be a light set upon a hill. I I wrestled with this idea until I understand that he wasn't talking about we're not called to do righteousness, but we are called to do righteousness not for ourselves, but for God. As he continues in, in Matthew 6, he goes, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing when you're serving the poor and contributing to them. He says that you shouldn't be thinking about who you are as you, as you love and serve others. Instead, you should always be pointing to who God is. Because the truth is, the story isn't about us. It's about God every single time. And we have to recognize that. And as we approach this idea of service, we are called to humility. We are called to, to humble servants. A call to serve is not a call to gloat in what we do for others, but instead it's a call to humble obedience in how God calls us to love others. We're to care about others and serve others above ourselves because we recognize that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. Because Jesus, if he cared about himself, I can promise you he would not have gone to the cross 2,000 years ago. But instead, when he's on the cross, he looks at each one of us sinners and says, you know what they're worthy of dying for? Yet sometimes we as individuals think we're too worthy to serve. We're too worthy to love someone else or bring ourselves to their level because what might others think? We're called to serve with humility. The second thing that we see in this passage is that we're called to serve according to our gifts. We're called to serve according to your gifts. We see in verse 4 through 8, as he, as he continues this idea of that we are to be humble, but as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. I think this is really important right here. He didn't give us gifts in order for them not to be used. He gave us gifts in order that we could serve the church and fulfill the purpose of the whole body. When I was in high school, I played football. I think I might have said that before, but I have, and I did. I wasn't good, but I was there, uh, and they put 40 pounds on me so I could start at center my senior year. Um, But in my sophomore year, 
I was a terrible defense lineman, and uh, I broke my foot. Uh, I broke a very insignificant bone in my foot, to be more particular. Uh, if you're a biology major, you might know it. It's called a sesamoid. I don't remember which one it was, but there's two of them, right? There's two of these bones that are literally like circles, like the size of your pinky fingertip. Like nothing, they don't do anything, actually. Uh, they literally just float. Uh, they're not connected to anything. They don't really support that much. Um, but I broke this bone in my foot, and I, I went to the trainer, and I was like, man, my foot hurts. And he looked at me, he did some tests on me, he said, I think you have turf toe. I was like, okay, I don't know anything about toes, so I trust you. Um, and he said, that's when you like strain a ligament in your foot. Um, it happens to a lot of athletes. Um, and most of the time, it's very difficult to recover from uh, because you have to sit still. You like can't use it and like you're going to continue to play football, so it's going to be hard to recover. And he's like, some athletes, professional athletes, never recover from this. All right, so this is the thoughts going through my head. So about two years goes by, and uh, my foot still hurt uh, a lot. And I was like, man, this is rough. Uh, so I went to the doctor. Um, I had a broken bone in my foot the whole time. Uh, and yeah, so that was that. Uh, but I trusted my trainer like with everything in my life. That was probably a bad decision on my part. Um, but that, that's a story. And during that course of those two years, when I thought I had turf toe, I taped up my toe, right? Made sure it didn't move as much as possible. It still hurt like the dickens. Um, and just being honest, like it changed the way I walk a little bit. Um, I stopped walking on the inside part of my foot where you're supposed to walk, right? Like on the ball of your foot. Um, and started walking on the outside of my foot and on my heel because I didn't want to put any pressure on that part of my foot. And that started to cause issues with the outside part of my foot, which was a blessing, right? Um, because I, I had enough issues with the inside, so the outside falls through as well. And it really hurt. I struggled running. I couldn't really jump, which I can't anyways. So like with a broken bone in my foot, it made it so much worse. Right? And it just really affected me as a person, if we're being honest, because every day I was just like, man, my toe hurts. Uh, and like, it never went away. Um, I should have been smarter and been like, hey, I need to go to the doctor. Um, this hurts a lot. But the reason I tell the story is not to tell about my pain and suffering, as much fun as that is, um, but it's to think about this bone. This thing, it's called like a tibular sesamoid. Am I right? Anybody? I can't hear you. I don't know why I asked. Um, but anyways, this bone doesn't do anything. It really serves very little purpose. But when it was broken, man, it affected all of me. It affected everything that I did. I walked differently. I hurt all of the time. So like, I wasn't as good of an athlete as I already wasn't what were. I don't know how to phrase that in English. Um, it just affected my, my person. Like every bit of me came down to the pain that I had in a bone that was just smaller than your fingernail. And the truth is, that is the truth about the body of the church. That when one piece, even if seemingly insignificant, is broken, the whole body suffers. And, and as Paul addresses the people here, he says each one of you is an individual member. Each one of you has been given specific gifts unique to you in order that you could fulfill the purpose of the church. In order that you can do what Christ has called the church to do. 
And if one of those members does not fulfill its purpose, the body is going to suffer. And the truth is, I think as a church, as a culture, we have a lot of members of the body that are doing absolutely nothing. And we look around and we're wondering why the church is not growing like it should. And we point to our music or our pastors or the color of the floor instead of saying, what am I doing to fulfill the purpose that was called on me as the church? Because we're all the church. As followers of Christ, we are the church. And if we are not fulfilling the purpose that we are called to do, the whole thing is not going to function the way it should. And just like that bone in my foot, you might be in the room and you think you might be an insignificant part of the body. But if we see in 1 Corinthians 12 that, that, that God and that Paul calls the insignificant parts of the body some of the most significant. Because without them, the body wouldn't function. Without your eyes or without your ears or without your foot, pieces of you are going to suffer. And while you might not be the eye or the foot or the ear or the head or the whatever, you still have a role to play for the greater good of the body. And if you are not, you're missing your purpose within the body of the church. As 1 Peter 4.10 states, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We as individuals are to utilize our giftings. Because they've been given to us for a reason and for a purpose. And as we see in this passage, we are to use them for the good of the body. We are to build one another up, but most importantly, we are to fulfill our purpose as member of the body in order to bring glory to God because we recognize that we have been gifted by the grace of God. We are not people that are so astounding that we say, man, look at what I can do, but instead we are to live a life that says, what, look what God has done with me. Because he has done it all. He has given us the grace in order that we could actually serve him faithfully and be good stewards of what he has called us to do. And the truth about that passage in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 is that we do all things through the strength that he provides for us. We bring him glory because we recognize all that we do is because of what he has done. We're to use, utilize our gifts for the sake of the church. We're not called to be consumers, but we're called to be servants of the church. We're called to serve her faithfully because we recognize the mission is greater than each one of us as individuals. But without each one of us as individuals, the mission will not be fulfilled because we are to serve the church using our giftings. The last thing that we see in this passage is that we are to serve with the right heart. We are to serve with the right heart. In verses 6 through 8, we see Paul 
listing off a few of the gifts that are given to the church. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. The first few of these gifts, he basically says, if you're gifted in serving, serve. If you're gifted in teaching, teach. If you're gifted in exhorting, exhort. And then the last three is something I want to draw your attention to. As he looks at these three, he says, if you are gifted in contributing, I can't say that word, contributing, the one who contributes, do so in generosity. I think it's interesting as we, as we move from just do the task that you were called to do, but to do it with the heart that you're called to have. He doesn't say just if you're gifted in this way, continue to serve out of obedience just because. But he says if you were to contribute to the needy, do so out of generosity, not out of begrudging, an idea of begrudgingness. That's not a word. But we recognize the point that Paul is trying to make. That we are to be cheerful givers. If we are to be people that give to others, we are not to do so and say, man, look at me, I have to give to others, this stinks. We are not to say, here's my money, take it, do whatever. Yeah, okay. We are to say, here's my money, here's some more. He goes on to say, the one who leads, he should do it with zeal. For us, the word zeal doesn't probably get thrown around too much. But this idea is, as leaders, if you're gifted with leadership, the, the difficulty with being a leader is you're often alone at the top. You can easily fall into a, a pattern of laziness, a pattern of apathy, which you say, man, I'm gifted as a leader. I don't need to do that much. But Paul looks at them and he says, don't do it out of that heart, but instead do it with zeal. Enjoy it. Love it. Seek to grow in it. And the last one he says, if you are gifted in acts of mercy, do so with cheerfulness. And this acts of mercy might not be something we're familiar with, but essentially what they're saying here is this this mercy is, is to people that are sick or poor, that are hurting. And these people give them mercy, give them acts of mercy or caring for the poor and the sick and the hurting. And the truth is, that job is not super fun. And they could easily grow weary in the work of showing acts of mercy to the sick. But he looks at them and he says, do so with cheerfulness. And the reasoning is because you have been gifted with something so great, why don't you use it to bless others? Because the truth is, we as followers of Christ have been blessed by the gift that God has given us. Through the grace of his son, Jesus Christ, we have been entered into the family of God. We have been blessed in a way that we are called to be a blessing to others. And if we live our lives in a way where we say, yeah, I'll do what he calls me to do, but I'll do it in the wrong heart and the wrong mindset, we're missing the point altogether. So I have a question for the audience, if y'all are still awake. So anybody in here have their parent ever tell them to do something and like it was the last thing on the world you wanted to do, but you did it anyways, right? Any of y'all? I, I remember some of these things, like they were so silly. I still do it today though, uh, of like take out the trash, right? 
And you say, all right, whatever. And you grab the trash, and you go. Right? And, come on, I'm not the only one that's done that, right? Thank you, thank you. I made me feel a little nervous there for a second. Uh, right, we did the task we were supposed to do, right? And then your mom looks at you and says, all right, go to your room, right? <laughs> you get in trouble for doing the task you were called to do because you did it with the wrong heart. The truth is to us, so often we're like, yeah, I'll serve the church. I can't believe I have to serve the church today. I can't believe I have to show up five minutes early. Have you? I got so much to do. I, I can't believe that I have to go out of my way to bring someone food. I can't believe that I have to waste 30 minutes of my time in order to have a conversation that is hurting. And this is so, insignific- this is so inconvenient to me. We say, man, I, I, I do the things that I'm called to do. But we do it with a complete wrong heart. So as Paul looks at his people, he looks at them and he says, you are to use your gifts to serve the church, but you need to do so out of the blessing in which the gifts were given to you in the first place. And we have to recognize that we have been given gifts not for our sake, but for the sake of the body. And when we hold on to them and we do things begrudgingly, we fail to serve the church how we are called to serve the church. Because we are called to serve the church with the right heart. We are called to serve the church because of Romans 1 through 11 and the gift of grace that has been given to us. Because we don't just have a a temporary new thing, but we have a complete new life in, in the life that we've been given in Jesus Christ. And that blessing should, should propel us to be a blessing to others and to serve the church and to fulfill the calling on our lives. Peter Stuhlmaker, who's a pastor theologian, regarding this passage of Scripture, concludes that the body of Christ can flourish only when every individual member and group within the church remains mindful of the good of all and thus sets aside individual interests for the sake of the common life and witness. I couldn't have summed it up any better myself. That's why I used the quote. But the truth is, this is exactly what this passage is saying. That as individual members of the body of Christ, we cannot fulfill its purpose unless we are all seeking the good. We're not seeking the good of each other in a morality sense, but we're seeking the good of eternity by bringing hope to the nations like we talked about last week. That we are called to be a light in a dark world, and if we are not serving one another, how are we going to be that light? If we are doing things with a heart of, of just, just, I don't know, a heart of just frustration, obligation even, and we're not doing things out of the blessing in which we have been given for the greater good of the church body, we're going to not fulfill the purpose that we've called to, been, to fulfill. We are called to serve the church because we recognize as individuals that we best serve the church and best become witnesses to our world when we are working together. And as we wrap up this series, I just wanted to to bring us to the point that as a body of Christ, as members of the church, we are to work united in our communities in order to glorify God and build up one another. 
We are, we are to recognize because of what Christ has done, we are to live a specific way. We are called to love others through serving them and counting others more significant than ourselves. The church is defined by Christ at its foundation. If we remove Christ from the picture, we remove the church. But not only is Christ its foundation, but Christ is its purpose in which we are called to fulfill. As we are to make disciples of all nations through worship, through biblical teaching, through evangelism, through service of one another, and through His mission. Through this biblical community, we are to function together in order to lift His name high. That's how we define the church. Not as a stagnant body in which we come to consume something, but in a body that's alive and active and serving one another in order that God's name is glorified through us. Because that's our purpose. And we are called to lift his name high. That's the church. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are so grateful. We are so grateful that we have the opportunity to serve you. Lord, that you have given us a call to obedience. Lord, that we do not deserve. That we are so unequipped, yet Lord, you equip us. Lord, I pray that as we enter into this time of reflection, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, that if there's anyone in this room who has never come into a relationship with you, that has never become a member of the church, Lord, I hope that they do so this Easter week. Lord, they recognize what you have done for them. That you have come to live, but not only to live a perfect life, but to die a gruesome death on a cross. To take our place in order that we could have a relationship with the Father. Lord, I pray if there's someone in this room who has never experienced the great love in which you have showed us, Lord, that they would do so tonight. They would make that decision and place their faith in you tonight. Lord, and for the Christian in the room, I pray that you would just be with them. You would help them recognize the purpose of the church is not to come and to, to indulge in the things of the flesh, but instead to come and to serve you. To lift your name high because, Lord, you are the only one worth bringing glory. Lord, we pray that we bring you glory in all that we do. Lord, we pray that our lives would be laid down at your feet as a living sacrifice. And Lord, that we would worship you. We pray that our communities are united in our foundation in Jesus Christ and bring your name glory. Lord, we love you so much. And it's your son's holy name that I pray. Amen. Guys, if this is your first time with us, something we do every week is a time of reflection. Uh, we're just going to have three questions that are going to go up on the screen. There's nothing fancy about these questions. Honestly, these questions are just a time for you to have a conversation with the Lord. A time in which you can respond to what God's doing on your heart right now. The first one of these questions is, do you view the church as a place to be served or to serve? Secondly, how can you better serve Christ's church? And lastly, does your heart reflect Christ? and how you love and serve others. During the next couple of moments, they're going to play uh, just some instrumental music. And I just ask that you would make, take this moment seriously, and you and God would have a conversation.
And maybe you're in the room and you've never entered into his church. I pray that you would make that decision today. I'm going to be down front during this time. If you need to have a decision or someone to pray for you, I'll be there for you. And then we're, after this time, we're going to enter into a time of worship and praise of what he's done. And you can stand and you can praise him or you continue to stay in your seat and pray to the God of the universe. Let's pray.